My guest today started making podcasts before podcasting was even a thing. A radio host behind the mic, Neil Velio started posting audio files of his show well before the birth of podcasting as we know it. Across the lifetime of his productions, he's produced episodes that have been listened to by more than 15 million people. On the show, we'll learn about his journey in the world of radio, where he hosted for giants such as Jack FM, Capitol Record, and Talk Sport. What I love about Neil is he doesn't hold anything back. He shares his thoughts raw and direct and isn't afraid to go against the norm. But don't let his directness fool you. He's actually one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. We covered a lot of ground on the show, including delving into the world of editing, microphone technique, recording environment, interviewing techniques, and some of the common mistakes he sees new podcasters make. Neil is a big believer in the power of understanding the why behind starting a podcast, and that's why he puts that front and center whenever he's working with anyone new to podcasting. Toward the end, he shares some secret tips on marketing that will help anyone wanting to get more visibility into their show. I'm excited to share this one, so without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Neil Velio, welcome to For the Love of Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me, Billy. I'm so excited. This should be fun. I can pretty much guarantee it will be fun because as I've had the opportunity to get to know you through your work, that is something that is not in short supply with you. You are a fun human being. I know for a fact we will laugh throughout this entire journey. So let's get into it, man. I mean, you've gotten your training over a long career in radio. You've been a successful host you worked for stations like Jack FM, Capital Radio, Talk Sport, and 30 years of audio content production experience has laid the foundation for you being who you are today and helping people on their podcasting journey. In fact, in 2000, you were the lead presenter for the pioneering internet show and, and station Storm Live, which is operated by radio veteran Bruno Brooks. Millions listened to your show. In fact, you outperformed celebrity hosts that were on before you. And what stood out most about your experience is that you were kind of like a forefather for podcasting because before anyone even knew what podcasting was, you were taking the best parts of your show and you were putting them onto the show website. This was in 2000 and podcasting wasn't even a thing back then. So let's start there. Tell us about that experience and how that really was a fun and I think an important part of your journey that I know you're proud of. Stalker. You absolute stalker. Wow, you've done your research. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what else can I say really? You said it all. Storm Live. Amazing experience. I, I tell you this now. Um, some what is it now? Twenty years later, and I still look back on that, and it's as fresh and exciting to me now as it was the day that I walked into that studio as a fresh faced twenty. Yeah, I think that's the point. Really, is that that was what laid the groundwork for the pioneering that we were doing back then with digital audio. Back then, radio was pretty dull. But it wasn't as dull as it is now. And people still wanted to be on the radio. There was still this sort of showbiz kind of draw to the big FM stations. And I was kind of even then was, I don't want a part of that really. I mean, I can do it and I enjoyed doing it when I did it. But it didn't really have any sort of passion for me. It was just kind of a job. And what Storm did was it allowed people that had a brand. And that was before we even knew what brand was. I mean, now like... All these marketing gurus on LinkedIn, yes, hone your brand, push your brand, brand ownership and all this sort of stuff. And back then, that was kind of rewarded with with stations like Storm Live, these pioneering brands that were just really grabbing people and identifying that to get an audience and to get your content out there, you had to have a personality. You had to have a profile. Mm. This was where the radio stations were falling short because while they were going all for more music, more commercials, more money, more hours of the day, it was kind of like, yeah, but where's the personality? Where's the reason to listen? And I think Storm was one of those 
really forward-thinking brands where Bruno, who came from, let's face it, one of the biggest radio stations in the world, Radio 1, even now it's still a worldwide brand. And, you know, even he recognized that we got to do something different here. He hosted the Top 40, which was essentially, he was doing the same as Rick Dees. He was as big mm. as Rick Dees in the UK. And, you know, I grew up listening to Rick Dees via mail order tapes. I used to order, I used to pay to hear Rick Dees. But really? Who would do I that, love that now? Can you imagine, <laughs> you know, Ryan Seacrest? Oh, yeah, got to have the Ryan Seacrest show from Wednesday morning. <laughs> I think that was the point is that Bruno kind of identified that things are going to be different. People are not going to be listening to the radio through their speakers in their car or on their hi-fi in their lounge. They can have it through their phone. And I'm just so grateful to Bruno because what he started the thought process for me to actually think about, right, what can I do with this new technology? We're going to, we're going to have all this opportunity to access people's lives in new ways. What can I do? And that was what led to me going, you know what? I've got a web page here. This is an opportunity. People that aren't going to bother clicking on the live player because it's so clunky and difficult to find unless you're looking in the right place on the website, I'm going to put it on my show page because that gets indexed by Google. And technically, that was, I guess, the first podcast. <laughs> Who knew? Wow. I mean, talk about being a part of history in a sense. You're taking what really was innovation, right? When does it happen? It happens out of necessity. And to your point, and I think what you're saying, Bruno realizes that there's going to be a paradigm shift in how people listen to audio. And what's amazing is where we stand today is that we're having this almost this renaissance of this auditory revolution that exists through podcasting and there's so many people jumping on and jumping in and what i love about you and what the reason i invited you on the show is that you truly believe in the crafting and the art and the creation of something that's not just meaningful but that's going to create an experience and create an experience in a way that people walk away feeling better because they listen to it and i just love that passion and it oozes through everything that you put out, it oozes from who you are. And you're not afraid to say that most people who do jump in the podcasting water, frankly, screw it up. So the question I have for you is, what is the mark they are missing? Because they don't know what they're doing. I mean, I'm not being funny, but is it arrogant? Yes. If I turn around and, uh, like, for example, that is bothering me. The fact that I just went, I, if, 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 because... If, I know now that you're going to have to sit down and you're going to have to take two of those ifs out and you're going to be going, screw you, Neil, last time I have you on my show. But that is literally what it's about for me is it is attention to detail. And most people, what they do is they go podcast. Oh, conversation. Oh, great. Right. And that's it. That's where the thought process stops. They're not thinking about how it's going to sound to me when I'm listening back at the end they've had a great time like your listeners when they hear or watch this if they're watching on a video clip they're gonna see a very condensed version or hear a very condensed version of the conversation that we've had i would hope because you understand like i do the importance of making sure that you respect your audience's time and most podcasters don't do that and they don't think beyond what they want out of the conversation, which is, oh, I'm going to get this thought leader on my show so that they will share this show with their friends and their family and their audience so then I get to look cool. Well, no, that's not why we're doing this. And I talk about establishing your why before you even start to record podcasts. You need to think about why are you doing it? And if your audience getting value out of, you, out of it is sorry, I've done it again. There's another editing point. If your audience don't get value out of it, then really you're doing them a disservice because then it's all about you. Um, why should I spend my time listening to your production if you didn't respect my time? And I think this is the point I'm trying to make is that when you do a podcast and you record getting out of it what you want, and then I listen to your podcast, I'm going to completely change it. Because number one, mm. you haven't paid attention to detail. It sucks, frankly. You've got sentence structure, which is repetitious, 
you're off mic, you're doing this. You know, it, it just, it sucks to listen to. And while you're sat there going, oh, well, that's okay, isn't it? That's all right. Oh, that, that, um, that breath, that repetition, that's all right. That's how people speak. Okay, sure. But we're not in the pub together. We're not in a restaurant together having a casual conversation. You're asking me to engage with your content. So at least make the content worth listening to by removing all the frustrations, which are just taking my time. You know, I've got stuff to do. And if it's going to take me an extra two and a half minutes to get to your point, because you've got so many repetitions and so many ums, and uh, oh, hang on a second, the doorbell's just gone. Will you bear with me a second? What? <laughs> Clean it up. I mean, I love that you brought in the why, because that's something that I clued in on when I listened to one of your shows, which is Your Business Needs a Podcast. I listened to the part where you talk about, yeah, you know the what, right? You know, for example, that you're a radio show personality. You know you're an award-winning podcast producer, a host, coach. We know these things, a speaker, a corporate presenter. That is what you do. But what you really distilled the value in is understanding why you do it. I love this concept. Obviously, Simon Sinek popularized this and many before him have talked about the value and importance of a why. And I think it transcends podcasting into virtually any pursuit that you have. And so how do you help clients find their why? Is it something, a journey that they have to find on their own? Or what do you do to help crystallize one, the importance of a why, but then also how do you help them on the journey to actually find it? Well, if they don't get their why, then they don't get a podcast with me. It's as simple as that. I won't even start working with them until I'm satisfied that they've clarified their why. Why? <laughs> Excuse the pun. Because if I work with them and they don't have a clear why, they're not going to get the results they want. Because the whole point of having your why is knowing what results you want. If you don't know what results you want, you're not going to get them. It's as simple as that. So. I think most of them, when, when you sit them down and you say, look, you know, why are you doing this? And they go, oh, I want to lead generate. I want to make money. Okay, cool. But that's a nice fringe benefit. And that's the way I look at it is, you know, these people, I work with a travel agent and she's absolutely brilliant. She's fully understood her why. Her why isn't to make money. And some people have a problem with this because when you're talking about any kind of marketing, obviously most of those oil snake skinned ruffians on the internet like give me thousands of dollars a month and i'll make you return on investment of 20 percent." you know well okay cool but the point is if i'm only going to make 20 percent out of what you're doing to help me then that's money in the bank but what's driving that what's dri what's motivating me to improve what's making me increase the margins not much just basically going through the process turning up dull drums at work, you know, nine to five, it's not a life. Whereas if you say, okay, I want to add value to my customers. I want to make my customers understand that when they come to me, they have got someone that they can trust to help them, someone with knowledge. So I am comfortable sharing their information with my friends, with my family and with anybody I meet. Oh, you're going on holiday, right? Talk to whoever. They are doing a podcast. They're exploring the world. They're talking about the places they visited. They're putting themselves on the line. It's well worth checking it out. And I'm going to do that because I know that they're actually putting themselves out there and they're not doing it by going, right, uh, subscribe to this and click on that and sign up to this and pay for that. You know, that's great. You're going to make short term cash fine, but it's not a why. And all that's going to happen is you might make maybe three or four conversions from your episode, then what? Where are you going to go from there? Maybe you get $200 in your bank account at the end of the month. Don't waste your time trying to get rich quick. It's not going to work. But if you establish a fundamental principle of why you're doing what you're doing, you'll get rich because there's no way you can't get rich. You're on a journey and people will buy into you. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, man. And you've encapsulated the power and the value of understanding what a compelling purpose or a why can do, which is far beyond money or all these material things that we think might be our why. 
there's something deeper that we as humans yearn to do, which is really to give other people something. And you talk about in, in some of your work, you talk about the power of finding your niche. Some people call it a niche. But for those that call it niche, we're going to call it niche here today. And this is true in business and podcasting. You can't be all things to all people. And if you try to speak to everyone, you in fact speak to no one. And so I'm curious, you've talked about this in the world of podcasting. You have a client that comes in, either they're a business owner or they're an individual. I know you you do focus a lot on businesses, but I'm curious, do you have any advice or suggestions for somebody that is starting their podcasting journey to help them define who their audience is, who their niche is? Yeah, it's really simple. You identify what you would be if you were listening to your own show. And that's really quite difficult to do because, look, you know, I spent 30 years almost as a radio jock. And the hardest thing for radio, it's so precious. The hardest thing for radio jock to do is to sit down and listen to their own show with a really critical ear. It's nigh on impossible, which is why we have radio coaches and program directors and content directors and people that can come in. And they're not radio presenters nine times out of ten, which is why they get a bad rap with jocks. Because like, you've never done radio in your life. What are you talking about? You know, but this is the point. They're really good at identifying as a listener what it is about your show that you're getting right and what it is about your show that requires improvement. That's very crucial coach speak there, Billy. You never say anything's bad. You say suggestions for improvement. And it's the same with the podcast. You can really identify what is missing if you step back from what you're doing. And the way that you do this is really simple. You're going to kick yourself when I tell you. All you do is you give it a week. So you record your episode, okay? You put your episode out there. A week later, not the next day, not the same day, not two days later, not three days later, because you're still too close to it. You're still, your brain is still retaining a lot of the information. So you're still listening it as an editor, as a creator. What you need to do is forget what it is that you produced so that you can come in fresh and listen to it as a listener. And this is where you'll start to pick up on things. So you'll listen to the beginning of your show and you'll go, oh, hang on a minute. I waffled on a little bit there and didn't really get to the point. Oh, okay, right. What's this show about? I was talking about my main subject, but then I suddenly spun off into a different direction. And you will start to pick up on the things that as a listener, you don't hear at the time because you're in it. You're doing it. When you listen to it as a listener, you're going to go, actually, there's a lot about this that if I was doing it again, I would change. Now, that's the first initial process. The second process, if you really want to drill down on this, you can actually do it in real time. So you would sit down and a way of doing this, a way of practicing, figuring out how to get niche, niche, how to stay on point and get focused and be successful as a podcaster and listen to your show as your listener will is to record it as you would put it out. Don't put it out. Go back through it. Edit it how you would edit it as you know, if you were publishing it. Once you've done that, listen back to the result. Delete that and redo it from memory. <laughs> Everything that you've just heard, the ideal show that is on point, it's niche, it's getting to the point, it's achieving your call to action, and it's serving your why. When you've got that episode, and you might not have everything there because you might leave stuff out. So that's where the beauty of you able to add to it. So, and you know what? If you do that and then you do it again and it's still not right, edit it again, listen to it and redo it. It's like anything. Nobody likes to hear the fact that you might need to take three attempts at getting one episode right. But this is the point. Practice. That's what it's about. And practice makes perfect. And if you want to catch up with the Joe Rogans of this world, trust me, Joe Rogan is a pro at making it look like he sat there smoking the weed, man, and just drinking a beer, man, and chilling with his friends. But the point is, he's a pro. He does it. This is his career. This is his job. 
And he knows exactly what he wants from every single episode because he's been doing it a while. And you can say what you want about Joe Rogan and people do. Ah, he's overrated, man. He sucks. Well, he may be overrated and he may suck to you. But I tell you what, he's not driving home in a Nissan. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about sound because this is something that is near and dear to my heart some might say that i have the same ailment that you have with perfectionism but actually i I look at it as a trait and a a quality more than a a detriment i want to talk specifically about this guy paul puckleworth who has a tendency prone to produce plosives so for the audience that isn't familiar with what a plosive is Tell us what it is and how we can avoid it. I love your YouTube video where you go over this. I was dying the whole time. I made a comment. By the way, the other comment on it is quite funny that I saw. So so you check that out. But what's the deal with plosives? How do we avoid them? Plosives is one of the most common faults <laughs> that most podcasters make. It's about the microphone, okay? Now, you might not realize this. It's certainly not, if you're not, you know, if you're listening, you won't know this because you can't see what I'm doing. But for the viewers at home that are lucky enough to be watching a, a version of this rather than listening to it, you will see my microphone, my beautiful Rode NT1A is a bit wonky. And the reason that it's a bit wonky is well this is the front of it here so if i talk really really close to it i'm literally bellowing into the diaphragm of this microphone right but i don't talk into my microphone like that why billy why don't i talk into my microphone like that because the air that is being expelled from your mouth as you say a p for example it's basically going to create a thing that you don't want on your show, which is a very loud and very unappealing sound that we want to remove. And when you put it to the side, your, your error is actually going past the microphone instead of into the microphone. That's my understanding. You tell me if I'm right. A plus. See me after, Billy. I will give you a little sweetie, as they would say <laughs> in the UK. That's absolutely right. I mean, what people don't realize is that microphone is a tool like any other And it's designed in a certain way. And you know what? They all come with these lovely little pretty grills on them. And these little, I don't know if you can see this. If I I turn this microphone for those viewers at home, you'll see there's a little dot there, a little gold dot, right? And that's what these microphones are really good at doing is attracting you. See, you talk into them like that and you really blow the diaphragm and make plosive sounds. Now, I have a mic shield on my microphone but i don't rely on that and the very simple reason is because if you rely on anything other than good mic technique you're putting your fate in the hands of technology good mic technique will always win in the battle against paul bucker white and his evil plosive because what actually happens if you talk across the microphone as thus what you're doing is you're making sure that your plosive is going past the diaphragm. And the diaphragm is just going to sit there and go, I don't know what I'm here for. I've got nothing to do today. What's happening? And you're not going to fall victim to when Mr. Plosive gets angry and starts making these horrible, distracting sounds in your audio. Like, (laughs) the problem with these plosives is, this is another bugbear of mine, is that amateurs can actually fall foul of the technology. There are certain VST plugins you can get in things like Adobe Audition and Audacity where you can actually get a deplosive. I have one. I've got an RX-7 that's got a deplosive in it. And I will only ever use a deplosive in an extreme circumstance where there's absolutely no other way of getting rid of it. But you can actually avoid getting the plosives just by exercising good mic technique. And that means just do a little bit of studying on it. Just learn how the microphone works. It's all very simple, really. This is a box, and inside the box is a version of what you've got in your own body, which makes you speak and how you talk and how you get your voice bassy and how you get your voice really high. And all you need to do is understand how the microphone works and actually treat it as a tool, rather than just this really showbiz thing that you talk into like that. 
what you'll find is the more you learn mic technique and talk past the microphone and, and back away from it at certain times, get closer to it at certain times, and learn to use it as an actual tool for your voice in the way it was designed, you'll get better results. And then you won't have to worry about going through your audio, spending nine hours editing it because it's just full of plosives. It's an instrument. I mean, you think about it. It is an instrument, much like you would study how to play guitar, how to play the harmonica, how to play the piano. You don't just pull it out and just start instantly playing it. The cool thing about a microphone is you can do that. But if you really want to study your craft and understand how to properly use the microphone. And I'm still a total newbie, a total rookie. Yeah, I went to film school, so I understand the basics of sound recording. And I am very particular about how I record sound. But I still have a long way to go to be where you're at with 30 plus years of experience. And so there's a world of information that's out there. We're not going to cover everything on this show, but it's up to each listener who does want to take it seriously and understand how to use the microphone as a tool, as an instrument. And let's talk a little bit about the mic itself. So I love the NT1A. I use that for the first 15 episodes. I'm recording in my garage that's not treated and it's so funny that you talk about this in one of, I don't even remember because I've seen so much of your stuff, but you talk about, hey, you don't want to use an NT1A in a garage because it, it does, it picks up everything. And it's a beautiful mic. It's a rich mic. It's a cardioid, a condenser mic that's going to get all of the vocal nuance as rich as possible. And so I've, I've converted to my Shure SM7B, which is sort of synonymous with podcasting. Rogan uses it. Everyone uses it. It's great as a dynamic mic because it's going to pick up less of the street noise and everything like that. So those are two mics. Obviously, you know yours and you like yours. Tell me, I've shared a little bit, but let's go a little bit deeper with types of mics, what you recommend for podcasters, maybe somebody that has like an entry level mic, what would you recommend all the way up to like the mic you're using, for example? I'm going to qualify straight away by saying that I am no mic expert and I have been doing radio and working in studios with varying levels of equipment. And radio has chosen one particular mic, and there's a reason. It's an amazing microphone. It's called the RE20. It's made by ElectroVoice, and that is a dynamic mic. It is a beautiful, beautiful microphone for radio stations. And what happens is you get these beautiful microphones that are hooked into really expensive outboard systems, and they do all the work of the microphone. So what happens when you get someone that doesn't really know what they're doing, going out and buying that same microphone and hooking it up to their own system, they're not getting the same results because they haven't got the expensive outboard systems. So it's like anything, really. You're only going to get out of it what you put into it. And if you're not going to go out and spend the money on the expensive equipment to make these things sound better then I would avoid doing it. I would, and, and I'm going to sound like a complete hypocrite here, and there's a guy, there's a guy of mine, he's a bit of a friendly rival on LinkedIn. He swears by those blue microphones. What an idiot. They are literally the devil. Do not buy a blue microphone, whatever you do. You're talking about the Yeti. Any of them. If it's got blue on it, stick it in the dumpster and set fire to the freaking thing. It's yeah, no I'm, good I'm being with used. You. I'm, I, it oh, sucks. I'm with you. <laughs> Sorry, I tried it. It's hor it's horrible. I, I could not agree more. But anyhow, go ahead. They are awful microphones. But where I'm going to go with this, I'm going to sound a little bit of a hypocrite because I'm going to say to you, you don't need to spend a fortune on a microphone. You just got to spend the money on the right microphone. Now, you asked me what I would recommend for those that don't really know what they're doing. And we talked about the short SM7B. That is a stunning microphone. As you say, it's kind of the go-to microphone for most podcasters. This isn't really used by anybody. The NT1A, I don't know any. I'm the only idiot I know that uses this. And the only reason I use it is because I have said expensive outboard equipment that makes it sound semi-decent in a semi-acoustically treated room like this is. But... I think when you're starting out looking at microphones, what you need to identify is two things. Number one, where am I going to be recording? And number two, how do I want it to sound? If you're one of these guys that's just going to go and do a, I don't care what background noise there is, I'm just giving out great content kind of show, which 95% of podcasters do. They don't 
factor in how important the the sound is they just literally want the content out there fine you could use any use a blue yeti fine that's okay but if you want to use it and you want a decent sound from it and you want to be restrictive on the background noise and you don't want to spend a fortune on the equipment that will help you deliver that good sound then you don't need to spend a fortune. You just need to spend correctly. I'm going to help you here because I've got a pod mic fetish at the moment. I love that little mic. It's made by Rode. That'll set you back about $120. It's brilliant. And is it the Rode Procaster? No. Is it the Rode NT1A? No. Is it the Shure SM7B? No. But I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll keep you in budget and it'll make you sound better than anybody going out and buying an RE20, spending nearly a thousand bucks on some expensive condenser microphone, plugging it in and then wondering why the friggin' cat across the street's coming out on it because they haven't got the outboard equipment to gate it out. It's simple. All you got to do is do your research, figure out what microphones have been tested in what's and Hello, we got YouTube. There are a thousand reviewers out there at the moment their entire thing is they get microphones and they nerd out use them figure out what microphone more closely fits your circumstances in your space and buy that microphone it's it's really easy what was the road that you were recommending which model it's the road pod mic and it's one that is relatively recently released i think it came out last october and you might know it because it's been it's been used in the illustrations for that Rode Rodecaster Pro, the uh, oh, the brilliant piece of self-contained studio equipment that pretty much everyone's buying. And and I've got it on my Christmas list this year because I want one. I don't need it, but I want one. That that's <laughs> the the microphone that you will see in the pictures that are illustrating that for use by podcasters. I would definitely recommend. Look, what you need to do. Here's my advice. It's like anything. You wouldn't go to buy a car without going to the the showroom, as we call it here, the car lot, as you guys call it in America. You would test drive the car. You would take it out. You'd see how it handles. You'd see how it feels. You'd double check that it's got an ability to play podcasts in it, I would hope, if you're doing your job. You wouldn't take the car and then buy it without testing it. So I would suggest you do the same thing. You probably got an audio shop somewhere near you. Look, America's got 9 million shops in every square mile. You guys are overcrowded. I'm sure you can find somewhere if if you look in the remember the yellow pages? <laughs> they, they got that version. It's called Google, the internet version of that. Have a look and see where your local electronics audio shop is and then see if they've got these microphones for you to test. Nine times out of ten, they will. And you can actually sit down, take your laptop, plug it in if it's a USB, or take a a digital input device, whack the microphone into there, and and see how it sounds. Yeah, I think testing is so critical. I did this early on. When I started, I wanted to make sure that my podcast sounded as close to a quote-unquote great podcast as possible. So guess what? I tested, I listened, I became a fan of, as I told you, as the microphone you have after testing a bunch of microphones. And for my guests, I actually sent them a Rode NT-USB, which it's 160 bucks. I tested it, I loved it. I literally sent it to all of my early guests. I don't do it as much anymore. Thankfully, most of my guests now have their own microphone and I just do a bit of a gamble and just hope that they have a good microphone. But yeah, do the testing. Another thing, I really love the idea of thinking about sound in this way. And I shared a video, I think you saw it recently about the recording environment, the environment which you're in. People think they have to have some fancy studio, but they don't necessarily. Can you talk a little bit about what somebody should be looking for in the environment that they're in when they're recording? You're talking about advanced audio engineering now. And look, you're only going to get results as good as your budget. It's simple as that. If you want perfect sound, you are going to have to invest. You are going to have to kit your uh, space out with acoustic treatment. You might even have to invest in an ISO booth or something like that, but you can achieve fairly decent results. Uh, This is what you're asking, I'm guessing, is like, how can you achieve a decent result with minimal budget? Uh, That's the question really, isn't it? Because that's what everyone asks. It's really simple. You get duvets. 
And people laugh. It's one of those things. I mean, look at, okay, so Mark Marin, what he did, he did a really clever thing. <laughs> he, he got his garage. He stuck a few wooden panels in the ceiling so that the iron was at least covered by something. And then he bought four acoustic treatment panels off eBay and stuck those to the garage door and the roof. And then he bought the microphone that you've got, which is well known to filter out external sound. But if you listen to Mark Marin's show, certainly the early days, you can hear (laughs) the local police car going by and stuff like that. Even he didn't have a really well acoustically treated space. And most of the damage you can remove in post-production, this is where I'm going to really come into my own now, I think, because I'm no audio engineer when it comes to sort of putting the stuff in there. But when it comes to taking the stuff out at the other end, I know what you can do. I know the tricks. I know how to take those sounds and remove them, or at least minimize them so that they're barely noticeable. So I wouldn't stress too much about it. I would say do what you can. If it means you've got to go to your local, I'm trying to be American for you, Billy, and I'm failing. It's not Walmart. It's I could translate. I could translate. <laughs> Target. Target. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So you can go yeah. to your Target and you can go and invest in a couple of duvets. Like You don't have to go and get blankets. a double king. Blankets. Yeah, exactly. Okay, blankets. <laughs> there we go. Blankets. Uh, and, and drape them. And, and it's really, it sounds stupid and it sounds cheap. But you know what? It works. Put one over your head. Put it over the laptop screen so you create a little den. That is going to do as much for you as going out and spending 10 grand on an ISO booth that probably you'll use once before you think, why have I done that when I've got a duvet, a, a blankie that I could put over my head? That That's absolutely fine. As long as what you're putting into it is as well treated as possible, you can always take a lot of it out of the back end. So we've covered microphones, we've covered plosives, we've covered recording environment. Getting what have we missed? Aren't we? I'm feeding off this stuff and curious, what did we miss? And we're going to get into editing in a moment, but what did we miss on the actual recording and capturing great sound? What have we not talked about that is important to actually getting the great sound to begin with? And then we'll talk about how do we then convert that to something that's really produced and ready for an audience to listen to. Well, I'll tell you this now. This is something that never gets thought about until the last possible second. And by that point, it's too late. You've committed. I would hope that most people listening or watching this have at least an idea of how to conduct a guest interview. But it's amazing how many don't. And look, let's face it. 99.999% of podcasts are guest based in format. You're doing one now. I have one that I'm about to start kicking out there that no one's going to listen to. Most of the branded podcasts have one format in mind, which is we need to get thought leaders in so that they will share our message and get us all that wonderful traffic that will convert into sales. So everyone is doing that format, but nobody knows how to do it. Nobody knows how to conduct a guest interview. And it's really simple. There's one tip that I can give you now for making sure that your guest interview goes well. Listen. Listen to what they're saying. Because the amount of podcasters who sit there and they script out to the letter, question one, who are you? Question two, how did you get there? Question three, what are you doing next? And it's just, it's dull. It's it's lifeless. And nine times out of 10, because you're scripting it, you're probably not going to actually get any of the interesting content, which happens organically in a conversation. Like, for example, if you go to a restaurant, you meet someone new. Do you have a script when you meet Frank? And Frank's at the bar and he says, hey, how about I, I'll buy you a, a, a Long Island iced tea. Let's shoot the, sh-, you know. You're not sat there reading a script to get the interesting stuff, are you? Having an organic conversation. Now, you wouldn't get to that if you were going by your question one, question two, question three, question four. So listen to what your podcast guest is saying to you. And for God's sake, ask open questions. And what I mean by that is don't ask a direct question that results in a yes or no. It's dull. 
And it's just going to make you sound like an idiot. Yeah, closed-ended questions versus open-ended questions will make a world of difference on how one feels they should respond. If they respond with a yes or a no, it makes the interview quite dull and boring. Unless and you're talking to me you... and I just waffle on anyway and it's not yeah, a problem. Just, you could have said, Neil, how are you? Are you 44 years old? And I've gone, well, let me tell you. <laughs> it just depends on the guest. But yeah, you definitely need to help yourself the best you can. And your point about listening is so well taken. I think all too often people get so hung up with trying to hit this mark and this mark and this question and this question. And ultimately you have to go where the conversation flows to and you could have some ideas, but I think being overly committed to one direction creates a stale, a less organic experience and conversation. Speaking of conversation, we're talking now, obviously there's going to be things in here that ultimately make the final cut. You, as I said earlier, you are a perfectionist. You pride yourself on the editing process. What is your process when it comes to editing and why do most people get it wrong? I'm not perfect. And when I'm recording my shows, I do end up chopping a lot out because it's like anything. You go on tangents, you think at the time of something that seemed really good in your head. And then when it's on the tape or in Adobe Audition or Audacity, you're listening to it and you go, oh, wow, what a lot of balls. I'm going to get rid of that. We don't need that content. It's really important to listen to the audio in a really strict way. And what I mean by that, unless it adds to the value of the conversation, get rid of it. I'm not talking about every single nuance. Like if, if there's something that's a little bit funny or a little bit bantery, you know, a little bit cheeky, a little bit fun, that's fine. Leave that in because you don't want to take away the personality. You still want to have the the charisma and the personality of the conversation retained. But what you don't need is all that fluff audio where you're talking about something that's irrelevant to the conversation. I'll give you an example. Like if I was to turn around to you and I say, ah, oh, Billy, man, you know, oh, wow, it's, it's, it's late at night at the moment. We're recording this in the evening and I'm really tired. I had a long 12-hour day. But anyway, that brings me to a... Nobody cares. That's not helping mm. the conversation. So we can afford to remove that. Look, most people, they think, oh, I better not edit that because that seems probably a little bit rude. It's not the guest's job to editorialize the end result for your content. So feel free if you think something doesn't add to the conversation or could easily be removed and will improve the audio, improve the flow, improve the overall structure of the conversation, get rid of it. They're not going to remember every last word that they said when they recorded this episode two weeks ago or, or whatever it was. So I always, when I'm talking to my podcasters that I train to do editing, or even with the podcasters I'm editing, what I always say to them is this, less is more. It's a cliche, but it's really true. The value you'll get out of a conversation where all of the irrelevant stuff's been taken out and it's just loaded with value, loaded with points, the context is right. There's no repetitions. There's no awkward sound changes. There's no moments where the podcaster said, oh, excuse me, just one second. I just got to take this call. I've heard that left in episodes because, oh, it's really authentic and organic, man. No, it's not. It's a waste of time. It's unprofessional. It's amateurish. And I'm not going to thank you for having to listen to it. So if you've got 45 minutes of audio and maybe 18 minutes of that is content, get rid of the rest. You don't need it. Two things stand out. One is don't underestimate the power of charisma and personality and fun and bringing those pieces out and, and not cutting those and the power of cutting the things that are just irrelevant, that aren't moving forward. It's like as I told you, I came from a filmmaking background. If it doesn't advance the story, it should not be in the script. And in much in the same way, if it doesn't advance the message, if it doesn't provide the value you want to provide, take it out, extract it out, less is more, and you get a whole lot better reaction, better response, and a better experience for the listener if you can focus on removing things that aren't going to provide that kind of value. Can I just 
just make one point, actually, just off the bat, because I was listening, uh, <laughs> just to demonstrate that I was listening to what you were saying there rather than thinking about the next point that I want to make, which most podcasters do. You, totally. you talked you talk there about your film background and, you know, you mentioned about will it advance the story? I've got an actual real anecdote, a, a real case study on this, which I want to share with you because I want to bring home just how important this is to get right and to think about and bear in mind. I'm not here to tell you how to edit your podcast. It's your show. You edit your podcast how you see fit. All I'm merely saying is that as a listener, I can tell you what I would want to hear and what I wouldn't want to hear. And when I was recording my own episode of Your Business Needs a Podcast the other day, I did a whole five-minute chunk about why I had credibility, how I'd spent 30 years in radio, what I learned in radio about content delivery, about engagement with an audience and all that stuff. And I sat there and I was listening back to it as I was editing it. And I thought, if I'm not from a radio background and I'm someone that's just thinking about getting into podcasting with no real passion for the art form, no real passion for broadcasting, I'm just literally using this as a marketing tool. Am I really going to care that this guy spent 30 years honing his craft in radio? Probably not, right? I just want to find out how I do it, what I need to avoid getting wrong, how I can really benefit myself from learning this stuff, and all the lessons that I'm that I Neil am trying to teach that person through my podcast. So, I cut it out because I thought in my head, the only person that's benefiting from this is me and my ego. And this is what I'm trying to say is that most podcasters, what they will do is they will leave the fluff that fluffs their own ego within their content. And that's not building credibility. That's not thought leadership. That's just bragging. That's just inane, irrelevant content that is just about you shouting about yourself. You're not serving your listener. And we come back to the point that I made at the beginning of the episode where I said, when you're establishing your why, remember, listener comes first. And what you've just, I think, made a really solid point on is we as human beings are often in a place where we like to have ourselves shine brightly at the expense of providing something that will actually provide real value. And we, for whatever reason, have a tendency to leave those sorts of bits into our work, whether it be video or podcasting or whatever, or even written work. We leave those things in when in fact, the best results often happen when we take the time to refine and to remove and to edit. How we get the show that we love, that we're passionate about and that we have a why and we found our niche and we have recorded well and edited well and done all these things well, now we need to find an audience. And so where are people making missteps in the marketing realm and what could they be doing to better find their audience? I'll tell you what, I love it. I'm so happy you asked me this question because this is one of my favorite things to really drill into. And now you're going to get, like like you haven't so far, you're going to get ranty Neil. So there is a, a popular method of promotion that a lot of podcasters are using, and they won't thank me for saying this. It's that dirty underbelly of podcasting called podcast promotion. And what you'll find nine times out of 10, if you mention the word podcast on any social media channel, you will very quickly get some kind of contact request, whether that be a Twitter follow, a LinkedIn connection, a Facebook friend request, whatever it is, an Instagram deep like from someone calling themselves a podcast promoter. And when they send them an email saying, hello, sir, how are you today? I can get you number one rankings in iTunes. Are you interested? I can do it for $50. They're going to go, wow, number one ranking in iTunes. I only just launched my podcast two weeks ago. That sounds amazing. Yes, please. 
What's that going to do to you? Right, I'll tell you. Number one, you are running the risk that Apple will, in their infinite wisdom and in their personal manual curation process, will find that this really weird podcast called whatever, Banking for Birds. Why is this the most popular podcast in the iTunes top 10 right now? Banking for Birds? Do birds even bank? It's not going to do any favours because what's, what's going to happen is Apple are going to turn around and they're going to say, this is not legit. Something's happening here. And yeah, something's happening. There's a guy who has something called a click farm where basically he's got about 25 mobile phone devices all racked up in a room where he's got 25,000 other clients who have been just as gullible as you who have paid him to sit there, set up his Autobots that then like, subscribe, like, subscribe, like, subscribe, leave reviews all over your podcast and get it in the iTunes chart. You'll be there for about a week and then you'll get kicked out and then your show will never be seen again. And in particular, if this is something you've got attached to a brand, that's bad. (laughs) And I'm sure I don't need to tell you how. Okay, so there are more legitimate ways of doing it. Whatever you do, don't use a podcast promoter. There's no such legitimate service that exists specifically for podcasts that I know of anyway. And please... If you know one that's legit and you know differently, please contact Billy and say, tell that English twat he's wrong. And I'll happily listen to it and and, and I will appreciate your, your guidance and advice on that. The way you're doing it is very simple. Give value. Produce a show, produce content that people actually want to listen to. And when you've got it right, when you've taken the steps to follow all the advice that Billy and I have discussed tonight i.e get the right sound recording equipment get your space correct figure out how to do your guest interviews and before any of that sit down and figure out your why if you get all that nailed down you're gonna find the audience and the way that you'll find that audience will be organically you can do a bit of social media promotion there's nothing wrong with boosting the odd post you're probably not going to get massive results but this is the key If you're doing your show from an authentic point of view and from a place where you want to give value, people will respond to that. And if you ask them nicely to subscribe to your show, to write a review, and actually reviews are not really that important in in 2020 anyway. I would just focus on getting the subscribers and getting the downloads. Those are the two really key points here that will get your show put on the front pages of things like CastBox and Apple Podcasts. Just give the value. And it's actually the platforms such as Apple and Stitcher and CastBox that will then identify that your your show is one they want to promote. They will promote your show on their Twitter feed. They will promote your show on their homepage. They will promote your show on their random Facebook page that no one looks at. It's just there for vanity reasons. Point is, if you're giving the value, people will find it. Lead with value and don't try to take a shortcut that will ultimately run the risk of you getting banned from the most important site, Apple, or even Spotify for that matter. But by the way, I just watched a whole video about this entire process, which, because I was fascinated. I was like, what are they doing? And yeah, to your point, they just have, and it might not even be 25 phones, it might be 200 phones where they're just subscribing, subscribing, subscribing. And your other point, which is, I think a lot of people may not know, reviews, they, they look nice, they sound nice. It's lovely for the ego. Get people to subscribe. Get people to subscribe. That is what's going to help boost your show. And how do you get people to subscribe? Create a show with value. Okay. So speaking of shows with value, so Neil Velio, too good for radio. You have so many shows. Neil Velio, too good for radio. The Morning DJ, Lockcast, Your Business Needs a Podcast, and coming soon, Extraordinary People, which I can't wait for that show. So for podcasts, am I missing any of the, I know you're helping people produce podcasts, which we'll get into in a second and businesses, but for your own shows, what other show you, what other shows podcasts specifically do you have? Cause I know you have your YouTube channel, which we'll talk about in a moment, but any other podcasts that we should let the audience know about? And is there anything you want to say about extraordinary people? Uh, extraordinary people just quickly. Uh, it's, it's something I'm really looking forward to because I'm really putting my money where my mouth is on that one. It's me just having conversations with people where I'm just 
giving value. You know, I'm talking to some quite extraordinary people. Uh, there's there's a reason it's called that. And they're, you know, racing drivers, radio broadcasters, and getting to the point of what makes them who they are. The whole ethos, my why of it, is not to get people that are interesting to me necessarily as much as it's about figuring out what makes them tick so that others can maybe model it and have similar success in their relevant field. So I'm really excited about that one. Thank you for for bringing that up. In terms of my podcast, I don't want to talk so much about my podcast as much as I want to talk about other people's podcasts. And there's one way of doing this really easily. Rather than going into individual podcasts, I'm going to say this right now. You can make your life so much... And they're not paying me to say this, by the way, those tight fist fight tight wads. The easiest way of doing it is to get yourself on an app like Podchaser or get yourself following those aggregation platforms where they find these podcasts really easy, easily for you. Aggregation is, is key. Any subject that you want to listen to value about, you can find it on a, a platform like Podchaser or on Twitter by searching out the Pod and Family hashtag, all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's another movement called Pod Rev Day, which is being run by, I think her name's Stephanie, Stephanie Fuccio. She's a friend of Ariane Nassenblatt at CastBox, and the two of them have come together and they've come up with this idea for this Pod Rev Day. So what that means is every eighth of the month, loads of podcasts are getting you know talked about because they're being reviewed. And it's a specific day that they're really pushing. And I that's what I love about the podcast community is that everyone helps each other out. It's really nice. Uh, people push each other's podcasts. So I would urge you to just spread your horizons when it comes to your podcast listening, because it's like anything. You're going to get more value from other people's podcasts. You're going to learn from those. You're going to figure out what works. You're going to figure out what doesn't. And you can apply that to your own show. And the more you do that, the more you get an idea for what makes other podcasters tick and what makes other shows sound good the more that you can have that same success. So again, get yourself on Podchaser, have a look around, see what's on there, do keyword searches and find the things that interest you. Listen to them, absorb them, learn from them and then apply them to your own shows. What great advice. And I think everyone that listens to this who wants to get better should take that advice and run with it because ultimately you become better when you hear other people, other podcasters doing things that are working no need to reinvent the wheel entirely, not to say that you can't come up with your own unique concepts, but you don't need to do everything original. You can take some great best practices from other people, apply those and make your show that much better. You are, one of the things that you are focused on right now, in addition to, I don't know how you do it all. I know that Pod Knows Productions and that's P-O-D-K-N-O-W-S productions.com. You also have podnose.co.uk, which I think goes to the same place. I know on Twitter, you're at Real Neil Velio, but there is a G in there. It's V-E-G-L-I-O, as well as Facebook, same thing, Real Neil Velio. And you also have an amazing YouTube channel. I just got to say, man, thank you so much for everything that you've shared on this show. Thank you so much for being the person you are. No, you're welcome. For being this voice. Can and I just dude, add one final Please. point? And this is not a question that you've asked me, but I just it's kind of niggling in my brain now. I wanted to get this out there because you probably picked up on the fact that it's not all about me. I want people to excel at what they do. And here's why I want to sort of game change for you. I want to give something that your listeners can take away from this that they'll think, well, I put up with that waffling British idiot for nearly an hour, but at least I got something out of it. That something out of it is this. When you're thinking about starting a podcast, whether it be for your business or for yourself, for your hobby, whatever it is, bear in mind, you're not just creating a podcast. You're creating a brand. And what I mean by that is the opportunities that your podcast will create for you stretch far beyond looking at your stats on Libsyn or Blueberry or Podbean or wherever you host your show, your impact will be felt in the world and you will get the benefit of that because you suddenly go from being a podcaster 
to a thought leader. And who wants to hear from thought leaders? The press. And this is where you open doors to opportunity where you can get speaking gigs. If you're running an automotive business where you're valeting cars, if you do a podcast, suddenly you become the expert that a local TV news wants to talk to when there's a recall on a car. It's a really strange example that came off the top of my head because I did an episode about car dealership the other day, so it's still fresh. But the point remains, you go from being a podcaster to a journalist, to a thought leader, to a spokesperson, to someone that people want to listen to. And that should be something that you take away from this. You think, actually, there's some mileage in this. Well said. I don't even know how to say anything more than thank you. I am so grateful that you and I have connected. Neil Velio, thank you for being on For the Love of Podcasts. No, it's an absolute pleasure. I absolutely loved it. And I really hope that your listeners and uh, your viewers really do take that leap and go into podcasting because it's so much fun. Stop. Don't leave yet. If you made it this far, please listen for just one more minute because I have something to tell you. I can't tell you how much it means that you took the time to listen, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. So what do I want to tell you? I want to let you know that I'm here to serve you. If you have suggestions, ideas, possible guests, show topics, anything you'd like me to cover on future episodes, please let me know by sending feedback to for the love of podcast forward slash feedback. I want this to be a two-way street, not just me talking. I want to know what you want from this show. Ultimately, you will help decide what this show is and how it best serves you to make better podcasts. If you like this show, let me be blunt. The best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platforms. This is so important and it will help so much, especially during these early days as the show gets started. One more ask please consider sharing this show with your friends on social media to help spread the word. All right, that's it. Until next time, please remember everything we do, we do it for the love of podcasts.